You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. going on to maturity. They were actually moving in the direction that God wanted them to be moving in. Okay, so here's the question for us. Let's bring this down to personal terms. How is it with you? Is your last state, your present state, better or worse than when you first believed, than your beginning? Is your faith growing? Your love increasing? You know, those are the things that we should be concerned about. Or are we stuck in neutral? As stern and seemingly harsh as Jesus' rebuke to Thyatira comes off, he actually gives them quite the admonishment. This admonishment, of course, is in regards to their love and ability to continually grow and mature in their faith, shortcomings set aside. In today's message, Pastor Mike will encourage you to take a moment and reflect on the state of your walk. In his study, you'll learn the importance of occasionally asking yourself whether or not you're better off than when you started your walk or falling behind. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 2 as he continues his message, Thyatira, the Corrupt Church. Now, this would be a bummer if you were an unbeliever and you were trying to escape the Lord. You were running from the Lord. You were seeking to hide your sin from the Lord, which is an impossibility. So if you know you would fall into that category, it would be a real bummer. But if you were a believer, you would consider this that is a blessing. That is that he is the heart knower. For those of us who are seeking the Lord, this becomes a an encouragement because we know that he's with us. We know that he's watching out for us. We know that he's looking down the road and only he has the capacity to see what's around the corner. And, uh, and, and all of our days are numbered by him. And the desired and the end of which will be a blessing. He always brings us to that desired, blessed end. So for those of us who are believers, this would be a huge blessing. So anyway, let us learn to walk in his presence and be careful, realizing that he knows all. But that's not the only way that he's presented to us or described for us here in this letter. Notice also, let's go back to our text in verse 18. We are told there that his feet are like fine brass. Now, what does that signify? Well, here, Jesus takes on the symbol of judgment. Now, we've already talked about this 
in one of our past studies. And, I, and if you remember, I mentioned that brass is that metal in the scriptures that represents judgment. For example, the altar of brass, where the sacrifices were offered, where sin was judged. And so what's the idea here then? And why did Jesus present himself in this way? Well, here the idea is sin must be judged. Remember, Jesus is scrutinizing everything that's going on within this church. And he's standing in judgment. And God can never be silent or inactive when sin is present. And listen, there was sin that needed to be addressed there in that church. And listen, if the guilty in Thyatira or in America and in any other place will not repent and come to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then they must face him when he comes again to judge the living and the dead. Revelation chapter 19. But in that day, his judgment shall be strong. It shall be swift. It shall be righteousness. But these, the present days, are the days of grace. When we are told, like for example in Romans chapter 10, when his feet are a thing of beauty, as he brings good tidings of salvation. Oh, that sinful men and women would come to see this truth, that they would just come to Jesus. So anyway, these are the different ways that Jesus is described for us here in this letter. So that's our first point. Now that brings us to our second point, and that is admirable qualities. That is the qualities that existed there within the church of Thyatira that were commendable. Now here's some of the good things that were going on in this church that drew our Lord's approval. Notice, let's go back now, verse 19. Jesus says, I know your works and your charity, or more accurately, your love. Okay, so with all of the flaws within that church, as we shall see as we continue to go through this letter this morning, there was also some good things that were happening. And notice, love led their list of virtues, which is very important. I mean, think about it. Christianity, the, the badge of Christianity is love. Jesus himself said that they would know that you're my disciples by your love one towards another. You see, this is the very essence and the chief attribute of God himself. Like, for example, in 1 John in chapter 4, there John describes God in this way. He simply says, God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So it's the chief attribute of Christianity, the chief attribute of God himself. So if we are partakers of the divine nature, as Peter suggests in his second epistle, that indicates then that the love of God, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 5, Paul said it well, then the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Paul in another text in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 referred to the chief character, uh, Christian characteristic as love. In his uh, letter written to the church at Galatia, in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, he says there, for the fruit of the Spirit is what? Is love. And so anyway, the saints there at Thyatira were dwelling together 
in an increasing love. Their love was so apparent. Oh God, bless us in that same way at Harvest Christian Fellowship. That it would be so apparent uh, among the people who attend our church. A genuine love and concern for one another. And more importantly, a love for you. But that's not all. Then notice Jesus also goes on to commend them in verse 19. And he says, I know your service. Now that word service can literally be translated ministry. He's referring to the ministry that was going on there within this church, which if you think about it, was their love in action towards those that were in need. It was their labor of love. You see, it was more than just, I love you, brother. You know, be warmed and filled. I'll be praying for you. No, it was a genuine concern for one another. It was an involvement that took place with, within the members of that church. They made an investment in each other's lives. But then also notice, he goes on to commend them in verse 19, and he says, I know your faith. Now that word faith, the English word, our English word faith comes from a Greek word, pistos, which can be translated faithfulness or fidelity or loyalty. So that's the idea that this word faith uh, carries along with it. So in other words, these were dependable, reliable, not fickle and faltering disciples of our Lord. The tender, loving care of the Christians in Thyatira for others was carried out faithfully and consistently. But then also notice he goes on, and he also in verse 19, commends them for their patience. Now this has to do with maintaining an equal mental and emotional balance under pressure. You know, one writer put it this way, and I quote, This patience is the capacity to be still when all around us is storm-tossed. Now our English word patient comes from a Greek word. The Greek word is hupomone. And uh, it, if I break that word down, hupo, first of all, is the English word under, and then mino, to abide. So the idea here is to abide in Christ under pressure, in their case, under tribulation. And so he's commending them for their patience. He says, I know your patience there in verse 19. But then he goes on in verse 19. And he says, I know your works and the last to be more than the first. Now, I think from what I understand and reading this uh, letter, it seems as if that this was the favorite quality of our Lord concerning this church. Now, how? Wh why did I come to that conclusion? Well, notice Jesus twice mentions their work here in this letter. So he, I think that he did this to point out the quality of growth and development of their efforts. In other words, they were finishers. They were advancing steadily. They were going on to maturity. They were actually moving in the direction that God wanted them to be moving in. Okay, so here's the question for us. Let's bring this down to personal terms. How is it with you? Is your last state, your present state, better or worse than when you first believed? Then you're beginning. Is your faith growing? Your love increasing? 
You know, those are the things that we should be concerned about. Or are we stuck in neutral? Are we going on to maturity? Are we going on to perfection? Are we becoming more like Jesus Christ? Are we growing in our understanding and in virtue? Listen, all of these things were admirable qualities. Okay, then with that said, so those are the things that Jesus commends this church for. But now also notice, uh, he goes on to declare those things that were wrong within that church. And that brings us to our third point in the form of a question. What was wrong with this church? Well, let's go back to our text. Verse 20, we're told exactly what was going on there. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. So here's the rebuke. Here's the indictment. Because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. Basically, all of these things would fall under the heading and the sin of uh, compromise. Okay, so what was wrong with this church? Well, yes, Thyatira was growing in love, but here's the problem with that. They were tolerating evil. You know, it, it just goes to show us how God is concerned about every church practice, every activity, everything that's going on within the church that has taken his namesake. Now, who was Jezebel and what was the sin that they were guilty of? Notice the name Jezebel there in verse uh, 20. Well, Jezebel, according to the Old Testament, was the evil, notorious daughter of Ethbaal, who was a pagan king of the Zidonians. And his, subject, his subjects in Tyre and Sidon were Baal worshippers. And the priests of Baal and worshippers of Baal were sex perverts. Their temples were asylums of debauchery. Their priests and priestesses were prostitutes. And, and this is how they raised the revenue uh, through prostitution for the upkeep of their uh, temple. Now Jezebel, we are told in the Old Testament, married Israel's king Ahab and set up the worship of Baal in Israel, throughout Israel. And you can read about this in 1 Kings chapter 14. The result was devastating to Israel's spiritual climate. And so obviously there was some woman in Thyatira who was like Jezebel, not Jezebel herself of the Old Testament, but like Jezebel, who was influencing God's servant in an equally bad way. And thus Jesus refers to her in a symbolic way and calls her Jezebel. As Jezebel, notice again in verse 20, because she was seeking to corrupt the church with ethical and doctrinal errors. You see, the tenets of her faith were worldly, they were carnal, and they appealed to the flesh. And notice, she called herself a prophetess. And I guess some of the uh, members of that church bought into this. But Jesus says of this woman, who called herself a prophetess, she, he says of her, but she was not. And, the, and so how did this all come to, how did the, the people embrace uh, this woman? Well, possibly because of their sweetness and their love. And maybe that was the reason why they tolerated her and allowed her a platform. You know, the difference between this church, that is Thyatira, 
and the church at Ephesus was the members of the church at Ephesus when false doctrine was creeping into the church, they used discernment and they immediately put a stop to it. Like, for example, notice in chapter 2, in verse 2, in that letter that was written to the church at Ephesus, Jesus says, I know your works, your labor, your patience. And then he commends them and he goes on, and that you cannot bear those who are evil and you have tested those who say they are apostles or prophetesses and are not, and have found them to be liars. And so here, the Lord commends the church of Ephesus for using and exercising great discernment. Listen, gang, we need to beware of tolerating such a one as this Jezebel. You know, having just enough truth to come off as Christian, sound, respectable. You know, there's been many uh, throughout the ages that have come off exactly that way, who claim to be Christians, who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ. Folks like Mary Baker Eddy, Eddy, who is responsible for the establishing of the Christian uh, science, or Joseph uh, Smith, who is responsible for Mormonism, or Charles Russell, uh, who who actually was the, uh, the founding member of the Jehovah Witnesses. You know, they all claim Jesus... You know, but it certainly wasn't the Jesus of the Bible. And so we need to be extremely careful about this sort of thing. Uh, Be careful for those doctrines that are introduced uh, within the church that seem Christian. They seem respectable. They they may have enough of the, the scriptures within them, but they're off on one point or another. Oh, God, give us that discernment. So anyway, all of these individuals that I just mentioned, they all claim divine revelation inspiration for their views and philosophies. But listen, the results were disastrous, and many have been seduced. Remember, the indictment that Jesus brings against this woman, Jezebel, that was to teach and seduce my servants. Notice there in verse 20. So remember, this church represents that period of the Dark Ages, when the papacy ruled ruthlessly, when counterfeits and substitutions were introduced into the church to replace true communion and fellowship with God. In fact, during which time, the Bible was forbidden uh, to be used by laymen, if you can imagine that. Could you imagine your Christianity without a Bible? Well, that's exactly the way that it was. Now, in verse 21, let's jump ahead here. Notice, here's the counsel. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication. She repented not. She refuses to repent and is therefore judged. Notice there in verse 22. You know, uh, interestingly enough, as we move through this book of Revelation, and we move into Revelation chapter 7, we are introduced to this great ecumenical church system that will exist in the last days, just prior to Christ's second coming. It will even exist uh, during the seven years of tribulation. It's referred to as Mystery of Babylon in Revelation chapter 17. And when Jesus comes back again, he's going to judge that church. Now, as it relates to that church, he says that the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. That is, all of these false doctrines that were introduced by her into the world. 
that had that intoxicating effect upon it, that feel-good, easy religion that doesn't make demands upon its worshipers. Those counterfeit substitutions, you see. Well, Jesus is going to put an end to that when he comes back a second time. Now, one final appeal to his faithful followers. What does he say there in verse 25? He says, hold fast till I come. That's his counsel. So in the midst of this infidelity, hang in there. Be courageous. Don't be persuaded by easy religion. Why? Because Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. Let's read verses 26 and 27. He says, And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed into pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. We've already established the fact that when Jesus comes back the second time, we who are with the Lord via the rapture in heaven for a period of seven years comes back with the Lord and we play a very important and special part in the establishing of this kingdom upon the earth. And we're going to rule and reign together with him in righteousness. In other words, we're going to enforce his laws. So this verse of scripture addresses that subject. And then notice our greatest reward will be Jesus himself. Because what does it say there in verse 28? He says, and I will give him the morning star. And this is the same way that Jesus is depicted for us in the book of Revelation, in the same book, in the concluding chapter, in chapter 22, in verse 16. Let me read it for you. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. So he's winding down this book of the Bible. And then finally says, I am the root and the offspring of David. And then he declares what is declared here in our text, the bright and the morning star. So Jesus is coming back, right? He refers to himself, and this is just one of uh, those blessings that he's going to provide for us uh, when he does come back. This is the reward. The reward will be Jesus himself, the morning star. And listen, gang, there is nothing as precious, as valuable, as soul-strengthening, than intimately knowing him. You know, just to know that Jesus loves us, that Jesus is watching out for us, that he's orchestrating all of the details of our lives, that he's providing for us, that he is protecting us, particularly during the time in which we live, during this health uh, crisis, you know, bringing us to that desired end that we were talking about before. Listen, do you know him in that way? You can. How? but just simply crying out and open yourself up to invite him to come and be the Lord and Savior of your life. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house Where I long that's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. We're so glad you joined Pastor Mike today to study the book of Revelation, the final book in the Bible. If you'd like to listen to more, just visit our website, harvestnyc.org. 
You can also subscribe to the In My Father's House with Mike Finizio podcast. Just search for it on your favorite podcast platform. We'd love for you to join us for worship this weekend at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet at 11 a.m., and you can reserve your seat online by clicking on Contact at HarvestNYC.org. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area or if you're just unable to attend in person right now, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time of studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch up with previous messages, check out our services through our Vimeo link, or you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Links to all these are available at our website, harvestnyc.org. Before we end our time with you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us in this ministry. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting In My Father's House? Donations of any size can be made securely on our website, harvestnyc.org. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for joining us today on In My Father's House.